At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. All right, let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Song of Solomon. We're in chapter 2, Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 8. Song of Solomon 2, 8 through the end of the chapter. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her fig, green figs, and the vines with tender grapes have a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove that are in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of Bether. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your uh, word. I pray that you would use it in our hearts tonight and uh, help us to rejoice in you and what you are and what you're going to do. And uh, so I pray for your grace and help now. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this is a love song. It's a love song between Solomon and the Shulamite. Or between the king and his bride. Or between the bride and the groom. Or Christ and his church. Um, we looked in different passages of scripture where we saw the, the royal wedding in at the end of Psalm 45, or John the Baptist statement in John 3.29, which we'll look at again tonight, or Romans 7.4, Ephesians 5.26 uh, and 27, or tw and then the passages in Revelation 21, verse 9, talking about the bride of Christ, and chapter 22 and verse 17. So there are different approaches, and probably the most two popular approaches to this book are to just take it literally, don't have any applications to Christ and his people, his church, but to just, it's just Solomon and the Shulamite. Or there's the typical, the type, that there's is a typology of Christ. And I like, to, I like to take both. It is both literal and I believe, how, how, can you, how can you read the passage of scripture? At least for me, how can I read this without seeing Christ and his love for his people? Um, the Bible says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they, they which testify of me. And I believe that includes the Song of Solomon also. And so the bride's love for him, his love for her. And uh, certainly I think there's applications that can be made out of this. And, and I'm not the only one. We have a song, one of my favorite songs out of verse 16. I am his and he is mine. And uh, so, and there, there are a number of places like that in the book. Um, so I want you to see, we've looked so far at the surrender to Christ, where she is saying to him, draw me, and uh, in chapter 1 and verse 4. And then we've seen her delight, or the delight in Christ, her delight in her groom, and now the return or the an anticipation 
of, if we can put it this way, the anticipation of Christ. And there are four parts here that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, four considerations when we think of Christ. And the first one is this, his approach. Take a look in verses 8 and the, and the very beginning of verse 9. And as we do, I just want you to know in the passage of Scripture here, there are four different are there the different speakers that are taking place? Not four different ones, but different, different entities. There's the Shulamite uh, lady, and she is in verses 8 through 10 and verses 16 and 17. And then um, you have Solomon, and he would be verses 8 through 14. And then you have the chorus, or um, some people, some, some of the commentaries will refer to it as the brothers, in verse 15, I like to think it as the, as the daughters of Jerusalem, and uh, just because of the nature of what's being said here. So um, let's take a look now at what happens as he approaches, as the Lord approaches. And uh, I think this is a, uh, a, um, a great passage on the second coming of Christ and longing for that. And you see the sound. It says in verse 8, the voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh. And the excitement of that, this is the means of anticipation to hear the voice of the Lord. You know, the first time the word voice is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's when um, God is looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They were hiding from him. What a, what, because they had sinned. This is just the opposite. There is this excitement and anticipation because we've, we've heard his voice and we hear, we hear it. And, uh, you know, the Lord gave the word and great was the company of those that preached it. And when we hear the word of God, when we hear the voice of the Lord, um, the, the God breathed scriptures, it, it gives in us a, a heart of anticipation. He's coming. We hear his voice. We've heard it in the word. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, he has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And those words and the privilege of being able to hear Christ teach, there had been kings and many great people down through history who had longed to hear the Messiah, but the apostles had that privilege. And they heard the wonderful things, and like one of the people commented, he said, no man ever spake like this man. And to hear the voice of the Lord. And he has come 2,000 years ago and he has spoken and we have the record of his words and it ought to increase with us a certain sense of excitement because we're in the last days and there's been a hearing of his voice. I like John chapter 3 verse 29 and I'm going to read it for you because um, it talks about the bridegroom's voice specifically. It says in John chapter 3 and verse 29... He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And John says, man, I've heard the bridegroom's voice. I'm thrilled. Of course, he's the friend of the bridegroom. He's not the bride. But, but to hear his voice and um, the excitement in that. Boy, I, I can remember back when you had you know, long distance calls and uh, the, you had to pay for those and pay dearly for them. And I can remember the $100 phone bills to my fiance. And, uh, but you know, it was worth it to hear her voice and uh, 
to hear his voice and, and the message that is anticipate, of anticipation. When you hear the voice, you see the next phrase. Behold, he cometh. He's coming. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. I think these words are just taken right over to the New Testament. Uh, just like I think to a certain degree, the, the voice of the Lord in John, with John the Baptist. But when you get in Revelation chapter 1, um, here's what it says in verse 7. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he cometh. That's the word. He's coming. Every eye is going to see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And then he speaks. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. A little later on, verse 11, you hear his voice again. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou hast seen, write in a book. And he goes on again. Verse 17, the end of the verse, if you have a red letter edition. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. And to hear the voice of the Lord. Behold, he cometh. We hear the bridegroom's voice. And there's a lot of hearing of his voice in chapters 2 and 3, as he, which I believe is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, to be united with our Savior and to be caught up together with him and to be at his feet at the judgment seat. Behold, the voice of the Lord, the voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh. And then we not only hear the sound of his voice, but we see him skipping, as it says in verse 8. Um, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. So here he's coming, and um, you see his ascension. He's coming from the hills and the mountains. Uh, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. And in Israel, Israel's just full of hills, and you're all either on the bottom of a hill or on the top of a hill. You're always, there's all the hills all over. And so you're, there's, this, there's this tendency to look up, to see our Lord coming. And uh, he is our help. And his agility, he is, he is coming quickly. He, quickly. He, is like, he is like a, um, a, a roe, a gazelle, or a young heart, a deer. And uh, you remember Azahel? Azahel was um, um, one of the brothers there uh, with Joab and uh, Abishai. And Azahel was light of foot like a wild roe. And he was so swift in his running and uh, here's our Lord coming back quickly. And I like what it says in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. And um, at the very end of our Bible, we have this promise from the Lord. Surely I come quickly. And uh, he is like a wild roe. Matter of fact, that is the, um, I hate to spoil it, but that is, that's how it ends in verse 17. Um, uh, beloved. Uh, turn, my beloved, and be thou like a wild, wild, like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains. Come quickly. Um, matter of fact, when you go to the last verse of the, of, of the book, make haste, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or to a, or to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. And uh, Lord, come, come. Bring all your goodness with you. Come quickly. And so um, this 
his approach. He's coming. We hear him coming, and we're excited about it. We hear his voice as we have the word of God, and uh, to be able to hear his voice that day. Um, and then you see his attention, the Lord's attention on his bride. Chapter 2, verse 9, back in Song of Solomon. So my beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. So he's, he's standing behind our wall. I think the idea, the, the idea of our wall again, has reference to Christ and his church. There's a barrier that we have between us and him in a physical sense. Um, he's standing behind our wall. He's there. We know he's with us. He's standing. You know, he's gone to the right to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. But when, he's, when, there, when, when there's this standing position, I think of Stephen, when the Lord was standing to welcome Stephen to heaven. And here the Lord is, he is, it's as if as he is standing, he is ready, and uh, he, he, is, he is longing and looking forward to us being with him. And he's behind a wall. Like Jesus said to uh, the disciples, he said, where I go, thou canst not follow me now, but uh, thou shalt follow me afterwards. We can't go right now. He's on the other side of the wall. We, we, we can't go right now. But, but, but soon we'll be able to go. And you, so you see his standing. He, he's promised to come back. There's this, there's this eagerness, if you will, on his part. And we know his long-suffering, as we saw Sunday, is salvation uh, for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. And uh, you see his staring. This is kind of a fascinating thing here. Um, he looketh forth at the windows. He's looking in the windows, and he's, he's showing himself. He's gazing, is the idea of showing. He's gazing through the lattice, and he's looking. His focus is on us. He's, he's looking through the window at us, and he's gazing. Um, Psalm 33 in Psalm 34, talks about the Lord's gaze when it says this, Psalm 34 first, and then 33. Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Um, it talks about the apple, uh, his people being like the apple of his eye as he cares for them. Um, one of the passages that has that in it is Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, it says, he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye, talking about Israel. And uh, the Lord's um, uh, looking on his people. And then here's the other part of it as you look in the passage of Scripture. So... He shows himself through the lattice. You know, something, there's an interesting thing about a lattice, lattice work. And if, you know, depending on if you're far away or close to it, um, you can see through it and see out or see one way, but, but, but at a distance or whatever, you, don't, you can't see in as well. 
And uh, something that's kind of like this is uh, I go on my walks oftentimes in the morning and there's a place sometimes where I walk where there's a long um, slat fence. And it blocks off a corralled area where they got, you know, a couple goats and some things like that. Well, if you just look at the fence as you're walking by, all you see is a fence. But if you change your gaze and look through the slats in the fence as you're going, then, and just ignore the boards, and you look through the little spaces between each of those boards as you're walking along, you can see through and see the animals on the other side. But you have to change your focus. You can't just look at the fence. You have to kind of look through the fence, if you will, into what is beyond the fence. And I think with us, it, to some degree, we're looking through a lattice at the Lord. And if we're not careful, all we see is the lattice. But if we change our focus and look through it, we see him. If we'll look with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians that sort of describes this when it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, we don't look at the stuff here, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And if we can learn to look with a, with a spiritual gaze, to, to look through the slats of this world that are just right there in our face, if we can look through to see him, what a precious thing that is. And I think that's kind of what's being described here. He's, look, he's, he's looking through at the windows. He's showing himself through the, through, the, through the lattice. And he's gazing. He's looking at us. And we ought to be looking at him and keeping our focus on him. And so you see his attention on his bride. And he is looking at his church. And we ought to be looking at him. His appointment, chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Ho, ho, man, I'm waiting for that day. We see the Lord's power in this, and how could we not go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when he says to us, really, rise up and come away. And um, that power, passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we, his power to raise us up and to bring us to himself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And the idea of a shout here is it has a very strong leaning towards a command. The Lord descends from heaven with the idea, with a command, with the voice. And the idea of the voice here is a sound, the tone of the archangel, and even with the trump of God. My, my take on this is the Lord comes and it's his voice we hear. And it's the Michael blowing the trump of God that follows. And, um, or vice versa, but the, he, he comes and we hear, rise up, come away. And I wonder if, those will not be the very words we hear on that day. We hear our Savior say, rise up, as it says in the passage of Scripture. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And we go, caught up together to be with him in the air 
and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And for those who are in the graves, who sleep in Jesus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52, it says this, it, it will be changed in a moment. Um, the idea of moment is atomos, Adam. We get a word from Adam from that. It's an indivisible moment of time. will be will be changed in, in, a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just in the blink of an eye. At the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And um, the Lord's power to do this, to to raise us up, and His pleasure in His in His church that He has redeemed, as it says back in the text of Scripture, "My love, my fair one." The word "love" is a different word than you'd normally see for love. This is the idea of a companion. You know, Adam. Um, it, wasn't good for, it wasn't good for him to be alone. He needed a help me. He needed a companion. And the Lord is looking for a companion in his people in the church. And he, his fair one, his, his beautiful one. And of course, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And uh, that we might have his beauty. And that's what makes us beautiful. Um, you know, the Lord is seeking to beautify his bride. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. Paul says, as he was working with the bride of Christ to help her prepare for the wedding day, it says in 2 Corinthians 11 too, for I am jealous over you with, a godly, with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul wanted the church to be, to be pure and chaste, and unsullied, um, clean, virtuous, not just a virgin, but a chaste virgin. And when you look in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and you see Christ and his bride in verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 5, he gave himself for the church on the cross that he might sanctify it. He might set her apart and cleanse her, clean her up from all defilement, with the washing of the water of the word, by the way, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. It is the word of God that cleans us up as we, we immerse ourselves in it and meditate on it and obey it, being doers of the word, not hearers only. That he, Christ, might present it, the church to himself, a glorious church, an honorable church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And I always think of the white wedding, wedding dress and and just having, it just has to be immaculate. Uh, at dinner tonight, when I was eating, um, somebody had given us some olive oil with some spices, and we had, had some bread, and, and I was dipping that in there. Well, wouldn't you know, it always happens on Wednesday night. I got me a nice spot there. I tried to wash it out. I don't know if you can see it, but it was right there on my shirt. I thought, oh, spot on my shirt. Okay. Well, spots bother Spots aren't good. Uh, he not having spot or wrinkle. And this jacket that I have on is notorious for wrinkling. Matter of fact, oftentimes when I travel and I have to wear a suit jacket, I take this one because it just doesn't matter, right? I can crumple it up, stuff it in a suitcase and get out, maybe get an iron, try and touch it up a little bit. But I just know, you know, there's no hope of trying to keep it nice. It's just going to show the wrinkles. And so, but, but, but to be without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. 
This is what Christ wants for us, for his bride. He doesn't want a bride that is somehow still defiled, has the longing dirt of past relationships with the world. Uh, he, he 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 wants a pure, chaste bride. Well, you see his chronology. You go back to the passage in Song of Solomon, and you look there, and it says this as we move on into verse 11. He says, rise up, my love, my fair one, come away, for, the, for lo, the winter is past. How about that? Wouldn't you like that? The rain is gone over and gone. The times of inclement weather are over, particularly for Israel. They're over. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing, and then it puts in of birds, is come. The voice of the turtle, turtle dove, is heard in our land. Spring has come. For the Jewish people, the, the, the darkness was first. The day began with darkness at six in the evening, and then the day finished in the light during the daytime. And, and so we think differently. We think the, the day begins at, you know, early in the morning. The first thing we face is, is bright light, and then the day ends in darkness. But for the Jews, it's just opposite in their thinking. The day begins at night. Like, we, this would be the beginning of the day for a Jew. And the day finishes in the daylight. And when you think of the history of the Jewish people, so much darkness for so long, and then the millennial kingdom, the light. And here it talks about, you know, the, 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 the darkness of, the, of the, the winter, the rain, and now spring has come, and it's beautiful. Matter of fact, there's a passage that it reminds me of in Isaiah 35 when it talks about um, the, the springing up and the flowers and all the beauty of the millennial kingdom. And I, and I think we see this here in the passage in Song of Solomon chapter 2. Matter of fact, it goes on to say, um, as the, the, the desert um, sprouts up and flourishes, it's like a garden But then it goes on into verse 13, and this is fascinating. The fig tree putteth forth her figs, and the vine with tender blossoms give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. It's time. The time has come. The fig trees are putting forth their green figs. The vines are beginning to blossom. There's a passage of scripture in the book of Matthew chapter 24, and it says this. You know that the fig tree is a picture of Israel. Luke 13, 6, the Lord's looking on the fig tree for fruit, and it does, it's not there, and um, he gives that little parable. But in Matthew chapter 24, when he's talking about when he'll come back, it says in Matthew 24, 32, now learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you shall see all of these things, know that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And so when, when you, you're looking here and, and it's talking about when are all these things going to take place? And they, 
in the text of Scripture, you have all the then in verse 9, then in verse 10, and uh, it, it moves through. Verse 14, there weren't then, and then verse 15, when, and then verse 21, then, and verse 23, then. And so you have, and then verse 29, immediately after the tribulation. of. So you have all of these things, and then you have this parable at the end. And if the fig tree is a picture of Israel... When it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is nigh. And boy, it is. If it's a fig tree, it is. Because a fig tree is a strange tree. I've told you about this before. A fig tree at the beginning, in the, in the spring and early summer, before summer really hits, the fig tree puts forth figs first. It's a bear tree with fruit on it. It's just the strangest thing. A fig tree without leaves and just figs all over it. Then the leaves come. And so if you see a fig tree early summer with leaves, unless somebody's already come and eaten all the figs, there should be figs on it. That's why Jesus had a problem with the one fig tree. He came, it had leaves, he came looking for figs. There was no figs. There was no fruit on a tree that should have fruit. So he cursed the tree. And it was a picture of him, the cursing of Israel. Well, now here the fig tree again and the fig tree, now it's talking about not figs, but it's talking about leaves. So when you have leaves, the first batch of figs are already on the tree, and it's, it's going to be hitting early June. That fruit will, will pass off, and then later in the summer, late summer, it'll have another crop of figs. So it'll have two crops in the summer. So I believe what's being talked about here is the very first one. When, he, when you see the leaves coming on, it already has figs on the tree. But when the leaves come on, summer is already here. I mean, summer is right at the door. And I think what it's telling us is this. In this passage back in the Song of Solomon, the fig tree put forth her green figs. And the figs are coming. And the leaves are next. And the in the vine and the grape grape vines are blossoming, and and there's excitement, and we ought to be excited too, because Israel after two thousand years May things May eighteenth nineteen forty eight became a nation again, and um, it's been what seventy two years now, and um, wow. It could happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We could hear him say, um, rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. And uh, we go to be with him. So, last couple things here, and then i got to be done. Um, the cleft. And if you take a look in verse 14, oh, my, do my dove, that art in the cleft of the rock. And that's another hymn that comes out of that. In the secret places of the stairs. The idea of the secret places of the stairs is the, is the place of the steeps. The, the, and it's talking about the, the covering of the steeps, the steep places. The cleft is the place of concealment where um, she, the bride, is, is brought and concealed in the cleft, if you will, of the rock. And in the secret place of the stairs, he says, let me see thy countenance. She, she is with him. He sees her. Let me hear thy voice. He hears her. 
For sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely. His, his love for her and his, his admiration of her. We are loved. The Lord loves his bride. The Lord, the husbands love your wives and he loves his bride. We are concealed. It's fascinating. It's kind of interesting to think about that. Um, when you think of the concealing, Moses was in, in the hole, in the, in the cliff. Uh, it, it, it's in the, in the King James, C-L-I-F-T, the cliff in Exodus 33, 22 and 23. And he was there and God uh, put his hand over it and he was in the cliff of the rock and he saw the back parts of God. He couldn't see God's face, but Moses wanted to see the glory of God. When we get to the cliff of the rock, when, when we're with him, we're going to see the glory of God. Elijah was, I think, in the same place on Mount Sinai. It doesn't tell us exactly, but he was up on Mount Sinai in a hole in the rock on, in the mountain. And it was there that he saw God's power. And it was there that he understood God's purpose and that God was in control of the things on this earth and God was going to set things straight with the different rulers. And it was there that he understood God's preservation, that there were 7,000 who had not yet bowed the knee to God. And, and a lot of things he learned in the cleft of the rock. And, and there's coming a day when we're going to be caught up together to be with the Lord. And we'll be, if you will, in the cleft of the rock with him in heaven. And we will, he will, we will see him and we will be loved by him in, in a very special way. And, and we will be hidden with him during that tribulation time, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, we're not going to go through that period of wrath and tribulation. We're going to be seen by him and heard by him. And may his beauty be upon us. And then the last thing that I want you to see is the adoration in verses 15 through 17. Um, he is adored by us. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. This is a warning um, she refers to herself as a vineyard that she is taking care of. Her, he has all of these vineyards, Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 8, he has all of these uh, vineyards that he leases out and they give him a certain, uh, he, he puts out as sharecroppers to different ones and they give him the proceeds, a certain percentage of the proceeds from that. But she, all she has is herself to give. And the brothers are going to get part of the credit for helping her to maintain her purity. And she maintains her purity. This is the end of the book, what it's about. And the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine are the things that defile the purity or corrupt the vineyard. And when we think about the church, I mean, when you think about just in a relationship, uh, flee youthful loss. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, a chaste virgin. Uh, don't defraud one another in, the, in these matters of moral purity. Be holy and treat each other right in the courtship and, and be pure. Um, but when we think of the church, we have to think about um, James 4.4, you adulterers and, uh, adulterers and adulteresses, uh, you know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God and, and to keep ourselves pure from this world. And not let the little foxes ruin our vineyard, ruin our standing in moral purity for him, that we could be presented to him as a chaste virgin. And when you go to 2 Corinthians and you think of that passage, it says he's, he's preaching about another gospel and, he, and, he's a, and he's talking about the problems of another spirit 
and a, another Christ that's being preached. And there's a lot of false doctrine out there that can ruin a, a person's vineyard, if you will. So then that brings us to her wanting in verse 7, 16. My beloved is mine and I am his. And I just love the song. Um, it's number 314 in our songbooks. Um, loved with everlasting love. And, uh, and then it gets into that part where I am his and he is mine. I just, it's one of my favorite songs. And that, that thought that he is ours and we are his. And then he says, he feedeth among the lilies. He, he shepherds his flock among the lilies. What a, what a special thing to be part and to be under his shepherding. And the places that he shepherds his flocks are so beautiful and so refreshing as we know in Psalm 23. And our waiting in verse 17, until the day break. Man, we're waiting for the daylight. Until the day break and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be like a row upon the, or a young heart upon the mountains. Lord, that you would just, you would turn and come. You would come now. Leap upon the mountains. Come quickly and be with us. And as it says at the last verse again, the last verse, I already spoiled this, but the last verse of the book. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of spices. Lord, come, come quickly. We're looking forward to all the benefits, all the spices, all of the benefits that come with your return. Father, thank you. Lord, we look forward to your return. I pray that you would come quickly. God, help us to live in anticipation of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Fair Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10.13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may, right now, pray. And according to Romans 10.13, call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, let us know. The number of the offices at Fair Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.